was episode one of 2024, but it's episode 47 of Amateur Hour. Danny, Darren, you, college baseball fan, prospect fan, draft fan, and I'm hoping we've found you, the extra person who's just a fan of great stories around sport, because if we don't provide you that, then we failed. We have failed on, on each episode we do. That's kind of the goal. Look, Danny, I, I know I'm supposed to intro the show, but isn't that fair to say that, that that's the goal of this show? We obviously want to get into X's and O's. We want to talk about the, the concept of how a player has evolved mechanically, how he has evolved. Show us your pitches. Teach us your secrets. But it's allowed to be about who they are as human beings, right? I mean, we fail if we don't share a story that a non-baseball fan would want to hear, in my opinion. I think it's really easy to go to a player's page or their profile page or or wherever you get your stats and see what they do and think that you know everything about them. But I also think people are yearning, word of the day, yearning for connection and understanding and the human side of athletes more than ever before. I see this all over social media and the way that you can connect to a person because you hear their story or you hear their parents' names or you learn about how they played catch with dad or mom in the backyard and, and hit off the tee and mom brought snacks to practice or, or they've gone through adversity in their life, whatever it may be. I just think people want to connect. And that's what we do really well. And while X's and O's are great and stats are great and improvements are, are incredible and velocity and RPMs, right? We can spit out all those, all those acronyms all day long. It's the person. Who is this person? What makes them tick? Who has who, supported them? What's a hard time they've gone through? And then you can sit there and say, you know what? I, I've shared that experience too. I like this player even more, or I didn't know that, right? Like you teach something, you learn something, you change your mind. Like what a beautiful concept. So numbers, even though I told all the human part about it, I'm going to go back to a number, but it'll be quite human and, and kind of, you know, dad jokey, quirky and odd because that's who I am. But we talked about it being episode number 47. Now in my world, in my world specifically, you may not even tie to this, but in my world, and, and some of our listeners will, um, in my world, number 47 is Tom Glavin. It's no one else but Tom Glavin. I understand others have worn 47. Other great players in multiple sports have worn 47. But to be clear, it's Tom Glavin. There is no one else. Tom Glavin's number 47. That's that. Here's where it's fun. Mike Glavin, his brother, is the coach at Northeastern. And this happened by accident. Northeastern star baseball player Mike Sirota is one of the great stories in all of baseball. You know why? Because unless you're truly a fan of the sport, you've never heard of him. Before Danny produced this show, I had never heard of him. Now, that's my bad, right? Because I'm not going to capture everyone that comes through the net of understanding baseball. I loved the conversation with this young man. He's from Broad Channel, New York. And like dad joke, how old do I sound? This young man. I liked talking to him. So, so Mike is great. Mike Sirota is amazing. His coach is Mike Glavin, the brother of number 47, episode number 47. But this is a man, when you look at PG's, one of their mock drafts in, in the new year, goes number 11 to the Detroit Tigers. That's how good this center fielder is. That's how talented he is. He played in the Cape in 37 games. He got on 61 times. 37 games, 61 times. Great get. 
but the story behind who he is, you're going to love. Great get by you, though, on this one. Well, I think that that's what, that's what is really exciting about the start of this season, right? This is episode one of this year, but the start of the baseball season is around the corner, the college season anyway, and we get to learn about these guys who potentially will have their lives changed at the draft in July, but I also had not heard of Mike Sirota, and that is also my fault, and here we are having him on the very first episode of this year and that's because this kid has worked so hard and guess what here's the other thing that i think that stands out and you had this conversation i didn't he's a northeastern right northeastern this this guy could be a first round pick he could be a top 10 pick he didn't transfer he didn't leave to go to a bigger school more notable school with a with a head coach maybe that has a bigger name no he stayed he's been there the entire time he lives and breathes northeastern and i think that just kind of learning about him before you were able to have the conversation. I think that's what really stands out to me. And um, I, I think that a lot of people are going to like this kid. And I kind of like that he's flying under the radar. Yeah, you're, you're going to not feel that way when you listen to his thoughts. You're, you're going to feel like, you know, I don't know, was it was it Matt Shaw, the athlete last year that, that came out of Maryland? Yeah. You're going to feel that way. If you're a deep fan of prospects, that's how you're going to feel listening to him. It was funny. I listened to to a show recently on MLB Network um, on the on the TV side, and I forget the analyst, but they were asked to pick out of a hat, um, and it may have been Dan O'Dowd. Pick out of a hat amongst all the top 100 prospects that they recently released. Um, his favorite, like the one that that people will be talking about the soonest, that not everyone is talking about, and it was Shaw. He, he, like he said that I was so excited. He's a guest on this show last year. Um, Mike is going to be the same way. The mind is the same. It's funny you talk about he didn't leave that mid-major school to go to, you know, a big school. The ironic thing about our next guest is he didn't transfer up, per se. He did a lateral transfer, and it was for a very good reason. And Thatcher Hurd, who was at UCLA with Coach John Savage, made the move to go to LSU and the national championship there, and Jay and all he has done, Jay Johnson. But what I loved most about our conversation, you, you, I prepared for the conversation by listening to your interview with him from two years ago. And I must admit, I always drop the SoCal guy. I'm a SoCal guy. I pull for SoCal guys. And I do, but I didn't know him. I didn't know him um, like you did in that interview. And, and so mm -hmm. this is part two, per se. This is an update on Thatcher Hurd. Danny's great interview with it. Go find it on our Perfect Game SoundCloud from, from the radio show. So he did make that transfer. What excited the, what, what the most unique part about the conversation was I actually asked him, what did you love about UCLA? I didn't ask him what he loves about LSU. He told me, as he should have. But I asked him what he loved about UCLA, and he actually said, I'm so glad you asked me that question, and then gave me a wildly thoughtful answer. Thatcher heard the mind is deep, the tie to family is deep, the respect for the game is deep. And um, again, he, he goes in this mock draft to the Texas Rangers right around that 30th spot. We're going to get to reconnect with Thatcher Hurd, SoCal guy who's at LSU. I think that that is probably the biggest draw. Obviously, his stuff is really, really good. And when you get asked the morning of to pitch in the national championship game, you are really, really good. And your coaches trust you. So he got to work with Paul Skeens. He got to work with Wes Johnson. He got to work with a staff full of guys who have really scary stuff. But Thatcher, I think, stands out for the way that he thinks about the game. But 
really the way he talks about the game. And you said it best. He's so respectful. And it's not because he's boring or doesn't give good answers or is skirting around things. He's very, very quite the contrary, actually yeah. quite the contrary. Yeah. And I think people confuse that sometimes of guys who are respectful or maybe a little quieter. He just, I think like his mind is bursting and um, the way that he pitches, but the way that he looks at the game is really special. He's it gives me the old school vibes. Honestly, it, it gives me old school vibes uh, of a guy who's going to go out and be an ace and take care of business and be a workhorse. And, I could see him doing that for any major league team, but I was excited to get him on early. I wanted to make sure we got him before the season started and, and just looking ahead to what is obviously going to be really exciting, not just for Thatcher, but for LSU and this, the team that they're, they're bringing back and, and trying to run it back again. So I go look at his old scouting reports, Thatcher heard, and I see on the PG website, um, quote, likely the best pitching prospect to come out of UCLA since Cole and Bauer, end quote. I see that. And, and then I think the thing that I like a lot about him um, is, is that when he did attend UCLA, sorry, Jay, I'm talking so much about UCLA, but when he did attend UCLA, um, he was the UCLA director's honor roll in the fall and the spring during his, his freshman year. He was an honor roll student at UCLA. And here's a quick news flash as a Southern California guy. <laughs> UCLA is not a layup academically. It is not a layup at all academically. So there's just a lot there. Uh, Thatcher heard. Excited. Let's get it started with Cole really quick. Yeah. I was just about to do like, I was about to do a big league toss to this interview, but jump in. I know. I, I know. I, I, I just wanted to tell you that I thought about Garrett Cole when I think about Thatcher heard, I just think the, the personality and the way they carry themselves very much comparable. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Like Garrett's a little grumpy sometimes. I haven't seen Thatcher grumpy, but maybe he can be grumpy, you know, maybe, you know, like Max Scherzer can get grumpy, but maybe it comes with being old. My father was grumpy later in his career. Sounds like an old man thing. It's old pitch. It's old man. Well, and pitchers age like dog years, seven years. So even though you're in your thirties, you're like me in your (laughs) fifties and you're grumpy like that. Let's go. Let's go with Mike. Let's go to Northeastern. Here's our first conversation. You guys are going to like it. As we said, Danny allowed me to fly this plane solo. This is her show. She produced it. Here's my conversation with Mike. Oh, by the way, I, I, I need to ask you, I don't care if this is on the record. Is your O, is it is it hard or soft? Is it Sirota or Serata? Sirota. That's what I thought. That's what I had heard in interviews and broadcasts. I wanted to make sure. We can put that one on the record. Mike, thanks for hanging out, man. This is this is fun. I have questions from Danny. You know, she has been unable to make the interview. You're, you're the story we love on this podcast because it's an athlete who works and plays hard all throughout high school and travel ball, who is on, quote unquote, the PG scene at this point for whatever that's worth as we have this conversation, but then uses college as your developmental tool. I mean, we've really seen it over the last four or five years of guys that end up going in the first, second, third round where college was where they grew the most. For you, your time at Northeastern, I'm guessing as you look back on it, and you're not there yet, you're about to have an incredible season, you're just ahead of it, but as you look back on it, why was it such a great place and has been such a great place for you to evolve and develop? Yeah, so I think it's a number of things that I've learned and and sort of in terms of development, a, a ton of things have happened just for me going to college. I think physically I put on a ton of weight, got a little more physical. But I think one of the bigger things is just on the mental side, understanding how culture impacts performance with the team. Um, I think 
learning how to play for your teammates. I think in the circuit and, and in high school, I think it's really easy to get selfish. But I think um, in college, you better understand your teammates and you're pulling for all your teammates. And, and I think it makes you a better person as well as a better player, too. Yeah, it's interesting. Your, your coach, Mike Glavin, I think, has had a nice impact on your evolution. You know, he's spoken with you about the pressure of what you've earned and uh, listening to some athletes recently on another podcast where I've stolen thoughts. And I love your thoughts on this. Uh, they kind of make it clear that pressure is for those that are not prepared uh, and, and nerves are for those that are. I mean, you're going to be playing and you have been. You will be playing in front of scouts. You did in the Cape. Do you understand that difference and that maybe that plays to your mind and your mental that you are now at the point where you will probably always have good, healthy nerves, but maybe because of your preparation, it's not so much pressure. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think some of the pressure came last year in my sophomore season because it felt like I had to break out and sort of show out um, for myself, for the team. Um, but I think now that the program and, and I think I uh, were a little more established now and I think more of the pressure came just from trying to get that national recognition. I think now, I think it's just play the game and have fun. And um, I think having that sort of mindset, it's hard to feel pressure. I think now, like you said, it's just more more so feeling those nerves um, rather than feeling pressure. Drafting, you know, we think of drafting in, in, the, in the racing world. I'm not a big racing fan, but you, know, you think of the car that gets in behind the lead car. You have teammates now that can do that with you. And I'm sure you, you, you at the Cape early on had certain at-bats your first time through where you were able to do that because others were being watched. That's fun for your teammates. That's fun for players that may end up going in the 15th round. Um, that you know, you tell me, Sud, I'm, I'm, I'm glad these guys got eyes on them because I've known they could play for a couple of years. Uh, that's got to be fun for you to kind of be the lead car, if you will, that, that scouts are coming to see. But you know you have some teammates that are pro prospects that'll get the benefits as well. Yeah, I think it's cool that we get sort of that attention from scouts now, and I think it's going to give a lot of guys on the team opportunities that they may not have gotten before, maybe because they haven't been getting seen as much, um, just because scouts haven't been at the games as much. But I think now, I think it's going to elevate the program to a new level, just having that sort of uh, national recognition, getting eyes on guys that maybe didn't have eyes on them before. It's going to be it's going to be really fun. Yeah, for sure. So I wanted to be yeah. true and authentic to my co-host, Danny Wexelman. OK, so she sent questions. I asked her to, but I'm not going to reword them. And I think they're pretty good questions. Danny says your coach has said your approach to BP has changed a little bit. What was it when you got to campus? What is it now? Why the change? Yeah, so. Um, my spring freshman season, it was just more so just a pull side approach, just something that I've done all my life and it's worked. So I didn't really change it. But from being in college, I learned that you got to be able to adapt. You got to be able to change or else you're not going to improve. Um, and I remember my, my freshman year summer when I got to the Cape and the pitching got a little better. Um, I had to change my approach. I had to open the field. I had to make center field, my right center field, if that makes any sort of sense, mm -hmm. uh, use the right side of the field. Um, yeah, and then obviously that all starts in BP. Um, you can't do anything in-game that you can't do in batting practice. So um, opening the field in BP, uh, using the right side of the field consistently and often has sort of played into my, um, my ability to use it in-game. That's a good question, Danny. A very, very good question. The Cape experience, 
I just simply looked at those 37 games, and, and, I'll, and I'll go numbers for our listeners, but 37 games in two, two parts of two years at the Cape, but a 465 on base. Um, you know, your college games are challenging as well. Everybody now, you're going to wear a target on your back even more, but describe to me how much that sharpened you. You had 27 walks and 34 hits in those two years combined. The concept of the Cape and the sharpening tool that it is for your approach. Yeah, I think the cape is a really good way to sort of to see how your tools and your skill set match up against some of the best in the country. So obviously going in there my freshman year, I had just come off an injury. Um, I'm getting into the cape and you have some doubts and you have some thoughts that maybe the same tools and the same skill set that you had in college, will it translate over to the cape? And I think one of the biggest things for me when I got to the cape was just maintaining that confidence and, and seeing that my skill set does sort of play into the Cape and it does play into the highest possible level of amateur baseball there is. And I think that was really huge for me. And, and just sort of um, from there, just keep maintaining that confidence in my skill set. I think um, understanding who I am as a player, um, getting on base for my team, stealing a couple bags, scoring for my guys, it's just better understanding myself has, has come, I think, the most from playing what did the Dodger draft out of the Gunnery High School mean to you? They, they grabbed you just outside of the 500th pick. Um, what, what, did, did, did that mean anything? The, the, the process, the learning, the communication, um, what did that mean? Yeah, so I think the meaning of it changes the older I get. I think in the moment, it meant a lot. I think me and my, my family were very excited, um, obviously, but we, we sort of knew in the back of our minds that I would probably wind up going to college, but I think in the greater scheme of things, in the bigger picture, I think what it meant for me as of now is, is just sort of better understanding the process, how things go, um, having experienced it one time through, knowing what to expect a little bit more. Obviously, it's a little bit different now, but I think um, just having gone through gone through the whole process a couple or that time, I think it's helped me understand sort of what to expect from scouts, what to expect from just just everything in general, to be honest with you. So if I'm if I'm scouting you and pre-gaming you as someone who pitched in college and in the minor leagues for a little bit, if I was much younger back in my day and getting prepared for you and watching video of your side swing and getting ready, what what are some things, and this is great for our listeners who haven't seen you a ton or, or watched you a ton or our viewers, what are some of the key moving parts of your swing that are your best friend, that are the best parts, most important parts of your swing from your from your spikes to your helmet? Kind of mechanically describe. Yeah, so last year I actually made a switch where I started pointing my back foot outward so I can hinge around my hip a little bit better. And I started uh, presetting my posture. So what that means is just basically leaning over the plate a little bit more. But I have um, – that's not how I would stand naturally. So now that I sort of got those feels, I'm going – I'm reverting back to my normal sort of athletic per se um, stance, which is just standing more straight up keeping that back foot turned in a little more. I think I do a really good job at, um, at separating my hips and my shoulders. I think I got my backside engaged very well. Um, I sort of slot the bat with my shoulders. So if you watch my swing, it just sort of looks like I'm tilting with my back shoulder and then using that to slot my barrel. Um, that was something I worked on these past couple of years, and I think I really mastered it too. Um, if you watch my head, my head doesn't really move when I'm swinging, and that's intentional. Um, I think just keeping my posture throughout uh, my barrel turn, 
when before my hips are turning, just maintaining that posture has been another really key part um, of my swing development too. How much are you a user of technology? Honestly, not not as much as other guys. I, I do use hit tracks and Rapsodo just for exit velo and launch angle. But besides that, I don't I don't use a ton. There's some touch and feel there then. Yeah. That's nice. Who, do, who, who did you grow up or, or still currently uh, love to watch hit? Doesn't mean you model or you try and be exactly like them. And they may hit from the left side. I don't know. But who are a couple of guys that you love to watch hit? Yeah, Matt Olson this past year on the Braves was, was a guy that I really liked watching. Um, mechanically, we're pretty similar. So it's cool to watch him, uh, even though he's from the left side, just sort of watching his swing, watching the things he does really well and, and trying to see if I can implement some of the stuff he does well into my swing. Obviously, it's hard to not like Mike Trout. Um, growing up, I, I always I loved watching Mike Trout hit. It's just he's unbelievable. Have, have you made great defensive strides? You can run and, and you, you can fly, as a matter of fact. Your stolen base numbers are great in college. But have you, have you become a much better defender in college? Yeah, and I, I can uh, I can sort of give that praise to Coach Glavin. I think when I got on campus, I wasn't I wasn't the best center fielder. I think I was sort of new to the position. I was sort of getting a feel for things, and he pulled me aside and he he told me that I have to take the shagging rep serious if I want to become a better outfielder. And just using those BP reps in practice that nobody's watching, nobody's seeing you do these things. But that's just one an, another one of those things where. Um, you need to be taking those reps serious if you want to become a better outfielder. It's not like the infield where you can, where you can field fungos for two hours. It's you're not getting as many um, live reps as you would in the infield. Uh, so taking those shagging reps serious was, was a huge, huge thing for me and it helped me take strides with my defensive ability. So funny. What a, oh, I, I got a four year gap, but I chatted in the same studio with Dean Moss, who's at IMG out of Northern California, number one outfielder in the country. He's a 25 he just went through the same evolution. You know, it's, he, he realized that, that, you know, and he's got a long way to go to catch where you're at, but yet he's getting it. He's understanding it. And the, the concept of using practice, real practice, clearing the pitchers out of the way and making sure that, you know, you could take advantage of it. I kind of like one of Danny's questions here. It seems like uh, it fits in nicely to kind of your evolution. She wanted to know, Danny asks, I want to be exact, how has he used this fall to prepare for the season He's talked about improving his two-strike approach a lot, but even bigger picture, what was the good of the fall for you? Yeah, so this fall, I, I really try and keep my goals and and, um, and things like that to sort of an, a, a subjective sort of – as a subjective accomplishment, if that makes sense. I, I try not to do anything statistical where it's objective. I try and do small things for myself in order – to, to define success, if that makes any sort of sense to you. And by that, I mean, one of the things I was working on is just mentally not taking a single at bat off all fall, mm. um, keeping the same confidence, keeping the same focus, every single at bat, doesn't matter who we're playing, what at bat it is of the scrimmage, uh, not taking a single at bat off. And I think that's something huge that I can sort of improve at is I'm a perfectionist. So when I'm not succeeding, maybe objectively, my stats don't look the way I want. I think in the past I'd get a little bit down and maybe taken a bat off because I'm not as focused and I'm, I'm, I'm still caught up in my past at bats. So this fall, I try to take, um, I try to take a sort of focus on, on not taking any at bats off, no matter how I'm performing 
or what team we're playing or if it's an inner squad, doesn't matter. Um, and I think that'll carry over to the next season and benefit me and the team. That's two good Danny questions. She's got two more. We might slide one more in. My question is, uh, what fingerprints do Kelly and Michael, your parents, have on your journey? Um, you're a man now, and you know whether you play pro ball or don't play pro ball, in all likelihood you do, you're about to earn a living, and that's a proud thing as a parent of adults as well. What fingerprints do they have? How much have they sacrificed and given to who you are? Yeah, they've sacrificed a ton. I mean, I played travel ball since I was seven years old. They're traveling all over the country with me. Um, for the draft process in high school, I'm, I'm a young, stupid kid. Uh, still, I'm a young, stupid kid, but even <laughs> a little bit more stupid back then. But they helped me through that whole process. They're helping me out, sort of telling me what people want to hear, uh, giving me advice on, on people and the whole process. Um, they've just they've sacrificed so much for me. And, and they sent me away to high school, boarding school, just for a better baseball experience as well. Um, so they've made financial sacrifices as well as sacrificing their time. Uh, both my parents were working up, growing up, and um, they'd come to every single game, every tournament, uh, without missing a beat. So they've sacrificed a ton for me. That's incredible. That's incredible. This is a proud time, I'm sure, for, for you and for them. There's a unique touch that you have family-wise and uh, – you know, growing up around the game with my father, uh, Don Sutton, who's in the Hall of Fame, you have a, a family connection to a Hall of Famer as well, a legend um, who in his in his time outside of military service may have been one of the greatest players in the history of the game. Describe your, your, your family connection, your connection personally to Whitey Ford. Yeah, so Whitey Ford's my great uncle on my mom's side. Wow. Um, I actually used to love going over to his house because he had a diving board in the backyard. Um, and he wouldn't like it very much when I was when I was using that. But um, I remember growing up, he sort of told me to keep the lacrosse stick out of my hand because his side of the family is a lot of lacrosse. Um, but yeah, um, growing up just around that sort of that sort of character in the game, uh, game of baseball is just incredible. Obviously, growing up, you didn't really look at it that way. But now looking back on it and uh, reflecting on on the times we've had at his house, or even just seeing him around. Um, it's just incredible. And I think, I think maybe it runs in the genetics too, because his son, Eddie Ford was also a first round pick out of South Carolina. So it's cool to have some of those guys to look up to and, and sort of try and follow in their footsteps per se. Yeah. You've got the genetics. Well done by you. I got my mom's genes, by the way, just so you know, I, I my dad pitched his way to the hall of fame. I got my mom's curveball and my mom's fastball. So unfortunately I'm, it's it's a good thing you have the genes. Have you done a deep dive? Like, and I'm sure as you get older, do you ever go back to his baseball reference page and just look? Yeah, I've looked. It, it's it's kind of incredible. Um, yeah, it's it's honestly, I, I don't even I don't even know how to put it into words. But just seeing like how many years he's pitched and and all the World Series rings is just yes. Uh, it's hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom it. Yes, the World Series rings and the and the winning and the the winning percentage and the low ERA and I don't know, it, it, it's just crazy. Um, you know, it's just crazy. H how do you handle and take in and the younger athletes I talk to, I think would have a different response, but you see your name out there in the, in the World Wide web on social media, you see a mock draft come out recently that like, let's say PG puts out and it's got you going 11 to the tigers. Um, what does that mean to you when you see that? Anything at all? Is it, hey, this is a nice step, a signpost along the way, but back to work? I mean, what does it mean? It means nothing to me. Um, 
obviously going through this whole process in high school, I think it's it sort of, sort of enhanced that perspective. I think, um, it really doesn't mean much. I, I still have to perform. I still have to do my thing. I still have to learn and improve. Um, honestly, it's just, it's just something I, that comes up on my feet and I just, I, I try my best not to, not to take too much, um, take too much attention into it. I think, uh, just keeping my faith in God and trusting God's plan for me is, is the biggest thing. And, and trying not to make things too much about myself and keeping it about the team is, is going to be the biggest part of this whole thing. So faith was a part of your upbringing then? Yeah, and I've grown my faith uh, more recently too. That's wonderful. You want to expound upon that? I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, I think um, with a lot of pressures going on, uh, I think my in my high school, my senior season, I think it was a lot for a young guy, and I, I didn't really know how to handle it. And I think it put me into a little bit of a funk when things didn't go the way I wanted. So in high school or in college, when with this sort of same process going on, I've, I've started leaning on God. I've started leaning on my faith a little bit more, and uh, it helps keep me grounded. It, it help it helps keep me humble and 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 gives me humility too. So it, it's been great. Yeah, for sure. Something bigger than ourselves. We're reminded that a lot, right? Something much bigger than ourselves. I'm going to use a Danny question. This is one that I like. You already talked a lot about your family, but she says to follow up about your family, New York folks, by the way, we're talking about the Queens area, you know, broad channel, New York. This is what we're talking about. She says, which slice of pizza is your favorite in the city? It really depends on the restaurant, to be honest. I love New Park's um, Sicilian slices, square slices. Uh, those are amazing. Uh, there's a there's a little pizzeria near me called La Villa. I love their regular slices. Their cheese slices are awesome too. It really depends where you're going. It really depends where you're going. It depends on the restaurant. It depends on the pizzeria. But uh, for me, it's mostly square and uh, and regular cheese slices. Nice, nice, good stuff. Look, if you do go to Detroit, they do have good pizza. So, you know, that, that could be a good thing. They do more of the square. It's a little thicker than, than, than New York pizza. My final question is one that I steal from uh, the great author and uh, certainly inspirational speaker, Matthew Kelly, that I'm going to steal a lot uh, because I thought he asked it and he asked it well. And I give him full credit every time I ask it. It's only the third athlete I've asked it to. Uh, Mike, what do you want out of life? What I want out of life is just to keep learning and, and growing my faith. I think um, the more I learn about myself and, and the more I learn from the game of baseball, I think it can really keep you grounded, really keep you humble, but it can also help you learn about yourself as a person. Um, I think learning as much about myself as a person is, is huge because I, I, I want to be a better person overall. Like the older I get, the more I try and be a better person, the more I try and be a better influence. Um, and I think growing my faith will, will help with that as well. Mike, thank you for your time, man. We appreciate it. Thanks for doing it. Danny sends her best wishes. Um, it's an honor to have you on our podcast. Thank you for having me. So I, I love I love the connection to Whitey Ford. I mean, obviously, when your, your familial connection is to Whitey Ford and you're a Northeast guy, incredible. I, I'm curious, get in the comments. You know, we, we, we want to have more interaction this year and let us know what uh, whether you're watching on YouTube or or listening wherever you find your podcast. I'd love your thoughts on Mike. I mean, maybe you've run into Mike. Maybe you have your own personal story from playing in high school uh, in, that, in that part of the world at the Gunnery High School, different places. Give me your comments. Let's move to LSU, UCLA to LSU. 
and let's get to know Thatcher Hurd, not just the guy who's going to be a first-round pick, the guy who used to be a prep catcher, and then in the middle of the pandemic decided, I better just focus on pitching. But there's a lot to it. Remember, when Thatcher Hurd came out, he was a pandemic baby as a prospect. His summer, that summer, he had to, you know, with fear, go to the National Showcase in Birmingham, Alabama, Hoover, Alabama. But he actually said that's when he fell in love with pitching bigger, being a part of bigger, bigger situations, bigger programs, um, was pitching in the Hoover Met when we all were crazily wearing masks and and, and just bathing in, in sanitizer. That's when Thatcher Hurd opened the most eyes as a pitcher, which is very, very interesting. Guys from his class, before we get to the conversation, Jackson Job was one of the grads right there with him, Detroit Tigers star. Uh, Chase Petty, now a Cincinnati Red, the Jersey boy who throws triple digits. He's uh, chasing the big leagues with Cincinnati Reds. Andrew Painter, look, he was going to be a Philly big leaguer last year if he didn't get injured. That's Thatcher's class. Now here's Thatcher's conversation. So inside the National Championship facilities, Thatcher Heard, welcome to Amateur Hour. Thanks for hanging out with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So as you walk into the season now, it's here. And by the time some, some have heard this, it may have already started. When you come back from the holidays, when you come back and whatever day it was, late <laughs> December, early January, what does your mind look like at that point? Does it change? Are you always in prep mode? Or did you kind of unplug for a day a week, couple of weeks in Southern California? And then does it all change when you return? Describe your mind. Yeah, I know for me, coming off the last game we played last year in Omaha, uh, I just for me, I really wanted to build off of the momentum I created on the back end of last year. So uh, I went right into summer with the goal of um, getting stronger, getting bigger, you know, eating, lifting, all that good stuff that I enjoy um, and kind of pushing the envelope with some things, you know, with my delivery and trying to move fast, move efficiently. And um, so I had a really productive summer on that side. Uh, I took a few weeks off throwing, just felt that was needed. Um, so, but, so I just focused on my body and I uh, did a lot of uh, water bags and dry deliveries just to feel my sequencing. And then, um, you know, transition to the fall, felt feeling good, uh, felt good about the fall. And then, um, you know, when the fall ended to winter break, just continue to, you know, there's a lot of work to be done with getting prepared for a full season. So, um, yeah, just went home for a little bit, saw my families continue to work, <clears throat> and then came back um, right after Christmas. And I've been here since. Um, and I just, we're, I'm so ready to go. So I feel good. How, how close to professional baseball does your atmosphere feel? I know you haven't played there yet, but you have colleagues who have. You came out of a, of a high school class and had Jackson Job and Chase Petty and Andrew Painter, and you were right there with them. They're pro guys now. How close to professional baseball is LSU as you understand it? Yeah, I mean, the, the best I could speak on it is, uh, you know, the Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens, uh, you know, everyone that's been drafted, uh, you know, Kevin Gosman, um, the Nolas, they all come back to train here. And, you know, that's pretty – unique that's for a reason um and you know i talked to paul and dylan a good amount and you know what they've shared with pro bowl and you know what's coach coach johnson shared um is you know he's going to get us as ready for professional baseball as he can and develop us 
you know, develop us into the best players we can be and create those standards for us. So as we move on down the road, we're ready to go. Um, so I have so much trust in our coaches that, you know, I'm right where I need to be and they're going to do everything to help me. Um, in terms of facilities and resources and everything that comes along with LSU, I think so fortunate to be a part of it. And this is what drew me to it and uh, just getting to utilize all of them to my benefit. And we're so lucky to have it all and I'd be foolish not to use it. So super lucky. And it's, uh, it's the real deal here in terms of resources. Well, that's a wonderful thought. And I love that you went from Joe Petty painter to schemes because that's your actual teammate. Um, who everyone is talking about. He goes from being someone we all know at the college level to someone everyone knows now. So I'd love to know everything about your relationship and what you have learned from him in specifics. Yes. Um, yeah, I actually just saw him. You know, he was just finishing his workout. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've gotten really close with him, been lucky. We got to share, be roommates last year, and we were roommates on the road. Uh, I was his, We were throwing partners, and... I mean, it was pretty evident early on that it was, you know, I can, we both transferred in. You come in, you're like, all right, Dylan Cruz is the real deal. And then you see, you know, within a week, it's like, okay, Paul Skeens is is as is on that same level. And he just continued to elevate himself. And uh, I think the biggest thing I learned from him, um, aside from his, his talent and his ability, which is unbelievable, is uh, his mindset is so elite and, you know, his thought disciplines and uh, how he how he carries himself would be a short way to put it. And he just he, he believes in himself. He doesn't believe, you know, anyone can beat him. He can only beat himself. That's something I really took from him, just fully believing in yourself. Um, and then obviously the work he does on the side to execute. So, I mean, he executes a plan better than anyone I've seen and with throughout a week and then obviously on game day making it happen. So, there's a lot I've learned from him, really. Just and I think I've been able to mature with him last year, and it's been a. I feel fortunate to have him in my circle. <clears throat> wow, that's intriguing. I can't even imagine. And now you can be that guy to to younger, you know, a younger Thatcher. You know, you were with him, and, and a friendship there certainly, an intimacy and a friendship. So I, I'm a big believer. I don't need to know backstories. Don't care for him because I'm a big believer in what's next. But you made a change from UCLA to LSU, and I'm a big believer that even though one makes a change, especially me as an outsider, that doesn't mean it was for a negative reason. So I'm going here. Um, what were the best parts about UCLA for you? As someone who enjoys Coach Savage, a Southern Californian as I am, um, what, were the, what were your best you, – you pitched really well. What were your best takeaways from being a part of the Bruins for a season? Yeah. You know, honestly, I appreciate you asking that because a lot of it is, you know, why would you leave? I loved UCLA. I mean, some of my, my best friends, you know, still play there or had played there and, and moved on. And, uh, I mean, that's one, of, that's one of the most beautiful campuses I've ever seen. Uh, it's, that's home to me as well. So it, I loved it. It felt like home. You know, it, it just uh, so I love that environment of uh, Southern California. That's home, obviously, as I've said a couple times. But the people were amazing. I think the academics and the in the school side of it kind of that helped me grow mentally and and uh, emotionally. Um, just relationships, kind of coming out from high school and moving on to that next part of your life, and that's such a an awesome environment that I was lucky to be a part of. And then, 
and just moving on it the whole you know we just talked about what it's like here and how it's so professional and amazing and I just wanted to be a part of this so bad my goal is always to be to play in the big leagues and I felt this was the best way for me to to kind of take that step and um, you know I, I wouldn't be here where I'm at today or had any success or the success I had my freshman year without the coaches there and everyone that helped me along the way. So um, I have nothing but good things to say, and I really enjoyed my experience at UCLA. Yeah, what a great answer. It's uh, I'm fond of both programs. I, as a matter of fact, just at the ABCA and had great conversations with your current coach and your former coach. Incredibly different men, and I loved both conversations. They, they, uh, they, they really, really are. In 2020, and you shared this in a, in a previous interview a couple of years back with us, but in 2020 is when you made the decision, again, let's take something positive out of the negative. It shut you down in a sense as an athlete that you made the decision, all right, I'm not just a catcher and a pitcher, I'm a pitcher. Talk to me about that transition when you decided to make that decision, and now you're looking at it as a man. You know, When you answered the question a couple of years ago, you were younger. You're looking back at it. What were some of the key parts of making that change as you evolved and Heck, you even journeyed to Jupiter, which was in Fort Myers that year, touched 93, pitched really well for FDB. But kind of walk me through that change that you made. Yeah, I think, I think you know, as an athlete and, a, and as a person, that like evolution you have mentally and obviously physically, there's a lot of like ebbs and flows that come with that. And I think, you know, to, you know, when we mentioned when we last spoke, when I spoke to, to Danny last uh completely different face in my life, you know, mentally and physically. And uh, I think, you know, coming to college and being able to understand myself and get some innings, I didn't have a lot of innings in my life up to that point and get to pitch in meaningful games and, and honestly to, to have some failure to go through, you know, an injury or, or experience everything. And I think it's made me who I am today. And uh, yeah, I think, the thing I'm, I would say, I'm most proud of through college is, um, is how I forced myself to grow and challenge myself, and uh, because I, I've always enjoyed the physical side and working hard, and but the mental side and and getting the edge and making the best version of yourself is something that I've been very conscious of, and uh, so it, it's just cool to see the evolution from then to now. It was a conscious choice, right? I mean, it was something. Was there any trepidation when you made that choice to to stop catching? That uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of hit my way out of it in a way. You know, I wasn't <laughs> definitely wasn't couldn't hit and catch at this level. I wouldn't say so. And you know, on the mound, it just felt like kind of came came easier to me. And I really enjoyed the one on one confrontational element of it, uh, pitcher versus hitter. And then there's an element of you versus yourself. So. Um, and I just love to throw at, at in the simplest form. So it would just seemed like a no-brainer, and uh, it seemed like it was the right fit for me. Do you remember that event in Fort Myers in 20? Nobody could play really anywhere. You had to be careful. You went to, to PG National in, uh, in Hoover. I know that had an impact on you, but do you remember going to that event in Fort Myers? Yeah, I do. I remember that was with uh, the FTB Giants, some really awesome guys. I mean, I kind of went in not knowing a whole lot of guys, and, uh, I was there for a short amount of time, but uh, I was a, I really enjoyed that that baseball experience. I remember what I remember is the night before I couldn't sleep, and we had the eight a.m. game or whatever, and nice. so pulled an all nighter. And uh, but yeah, that was such a fun. I loved playing in the PG events. I remember uh, 
Gage Jump and I, when you're at UCLA, we we're just like, it was the fall fall ball. We we're like, man, wish we could kind of just go play PG tournament real quick and then just come back or something. But those are good times. Good stuff, man. I, I want to talk to you about a couple of moments last year and how it helped to mold you. Early March, Butler Stanford, or uh, yeah, Butler and Sanford, right? It was Butler Sanford together. Yeah. Okay, I, I made it Stanford's for some reason. I had you back at UCLA. Yeah. Butler Sanford, right? You go 11, you strike out 18, you walk three, you give up nothing. You give up nothing. So building blocks, those are, those, are the, those are pieces of a wall that's building you. What do you recall about those couple of outings against Butler and Sanford last year? Yeah, I think I remember, um, you know, at that point, yeah, I was thinking, you know, that I was building momentum. I was going to have a great year, you know, and uh, I remember uh, just feeling – you know, I go back to like my freshman year. I was just almost like you didn't know why you were, you were just attacking the strike zone and you were just competing, and things were kind of just falling into place. And I just remember those outings. I was just attacking the strike zone and trusting my stuff and believing in myself. That's what I took away from it. And uh, pretty simple plan and not really overthinking too much and just just going after it. That's what I remember. And I remember it being a lot of fun that, that those two that week. You know. So do you learn more from those, those two outings or do you learn more from April 1st against Tennessee, right? That's yeah. a different outing. That, that's, and I'm not talking about confidence at that point. I'm just talking about learning. You know, none of us, my father won 324 games in the big leagues. He lost 252 times. Um, you know, I pitched into the minor leagues, not very deep though, but I can recall both of what you had, Butler, Sanford, and also Tennessee, um, do you learn more from a Tennessee outing where you don't get anybody out and it's just not your day? I'm just talking about the learning part, not the confidence part. 100%. Yeah, I think uh, I could probably give you a more in-depth answer on, you know, if you look at two, two outings, Butler, Stan uh, Sanford, and then, uh, you know, Arkansas, Tennessee. Granted, different opponents, you know, we call a space. Sure. It, both fair, those two are different opponents from the other two. And uh, I remember I could tell you a lot more about my frame of mind from those two starts and where it went wrong, where I think um, something Coach Johnson has said that really resonates with me is um, trying to do too much isn't a plan. And that's uh, I think that very much is the case for that Arkansas outing. I mean, it was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series, and I was uh, it was Saturday and it was 1-1. And then Garrett Edwards, he said, Saturday night at the box, can't beat it with the stick. I mean, like, there's nothing better than being in uh, in the box on a Saturday night when it's packed. And, I mean, it was it was a real deal. And, I mean, I tried out to go do too much, and it didn't go my way for sure. And uh, and then in the Tennessee, you know, if I was up here, I was like, okay, I'll go I'll swing down here and try to be mellow and get the corners and, and just kind of settle into the game and, that was that was the worst outing I've ever had, and I remember those two. I mean, that that stuck with me to this day too. You know, that's pushed me. That feeling uh, after those two outings is a terrible feeling. You go back for both of them, and just letting the team down. You know, and uh, so I've learned a lot from those. Learned a lot about myself, and you know, when you've had the that feeling after, you know, letting the team down, letting yourself down, letting letting LSU down, you don't you'll do anything to not feel that again. And that's baseball. You're never going to have it figured out ever. So No. Yeah. No, time Lord, to go to work. Time to go to work. Yeah, time to keep working. So 
learned, I would say, you know, to wrap it all that question up, I learned a lot from failing in those two outings and throughout the year, you know. What a great answer. I remember, and I'll be quick with this because I don't like talking about myself, but it was an interview I had. I think Scott Schoenweiss, a Duke grad, and uh, I know your mom's a Duke grad, your mom, Julie, but Scott Schoenweiss, a Duke grad, pitching the big leagues for about a decade. And uh, he had two awful outings in a row in the big league starting pitcher, early years, Angels pitcher, um, right before they uh, they won it all. And I said, hey, can I do a, do an interview with you? He said, you called that game last night. Did you know, why would you want to talk to me? I was terrible, and I have been for two straight starts. I, I said, this is the best time to talk to you, in my opinion. And I learned a lot. I was like a 30-plus-year-old announcer at that time. And he opened up, you know, much like you did after the fact. But it, that's where the learning goes on. That's, you know, I've been fired twice as a broadcaster. That's where the learning goes on um, in, in those moments. So I appreciate your candor uh, in that answer. Since we, since we mentioned Duke, introduce me with your words to your mom, Julie, please. Yes, I can't say enough good things about my both my parents. I feel so lucky. I mean, I really feel like I lucked out with my parents and everything they do for me. I was just talking to my mom. I talked to my mom for like two hours last night. We were just cutting up, you know, and uh, I think a very cool progression in her life is uh, my brother, my older brother, Logan, and I, uh, who was also a pitcher. He just transferred and he's pitching at Tulane. So we're Louisiana. And uh, anyway, she were, you know, they're. Both my parents, both their sons are out of college, and um, she wanted to do graduate school for Northwestern, Northwestern University in Chicago, and she's doing it online to be a therapist and to be a counselor, and um, I just think that's so cool that, you know, at that point of her life, she's taken on something that's really hard, really hard to do, uh, a lot of workload, and, you know, she's obviously very well educated. She went to Duke, and now she's getting a master's at Northwestern to help people, and um, she's I think this part of her life, I've learned so much from. Um, she's so good at one-on-one -on -one and connecting with people. And she's taught me a lot about the brain and, and the natural responses your brain has. And I think that's really helped me on the mound and understand myself. And um, so I can't say enough good things about my mom. I'm incredibly lucky to have her and all that she's taught me and with every progression of, of her life and going through it with her. So, um yeah, I've got amazing parents, and I could say the same about my dad, also very well-educated, and and I was just thinking how lucky my were. They kind of set the blueprint for me, and I just got to follow, and, you know, I don't have a lot of choices to deviate from if it's just do as your parents would do, you know, so. Wow. Wow. You, your dad was, was quite the dude uh, as a lumberjack. I raised a lumberjack. She's about to graduate. Oh, that. nice. And uh, love it up there. It's spectacular. It's a wonderful place to escape the busyness of life, certainly. But, but what do you know about your dad's career? And I should tell everyone, Northern Arizona University, Flagstaff, Arizona, yeah. to all our listeners. Um, you gave a great answer to Danny, youngest of 11, grew up in a small house in Chicago. He has front-facing success as a man now throughout his career, leader of companies in the medical industry. Um, but tell me a little bit about dad. You talked about the blueprints. Uh, cool that he was a college athlete like you. Um, but again, you, you already answered it in part, but maybe take a little deeper the last good thing you've learned from your dad. Yeah, I think very, I think throughout my life, I've always looked at my dad and subconsciously and consciously being like, I'm just going to be like him, you know? So he's, a, you know, just talking to my mom and understanding him and hearing his story. He's a natural born leader and um, he leads with compassion and uh 
he takes things head on and he's ingrained a lot of things in me that have stuck with me you know I think I was as young as I can remember I remember him telling me hey too much too much is given much is expected yeah. and you know gratitude grace compassion and you know he just if you want something you you go get it you make it happen and you do it with grace um he's always told me that um but as i said youngest of 11 you did he i think the, one of the most admirable things about my dad is um he took a experience he had from his life you know being the youngest of 11 in a in a small home in in chicago and you know he made a path for me that he didn't have at his time you know and he's created opportunities that he didn't have uh, by himself and uh yeah I just I, I that's my that's my guy that's my role model I look up to him in every way and uh I think he's a natural born leader he always has been and uh kind of just going back to the blueprint I was talking about if I can just follow him I, I think I'll be all right you know do, do you still um care for these guys at all is that still your team <laughs> the Dodgers are you still yeah. the Dodgers guy I am. I think uh, so. When I was living in Northern California, first games I went to were A's games. So I've been to a bunch of A's games, and then when I moved down south, I, in my mind, I was like, I get a, I get a one-time bandwagon pass where I can switch teams. So I, the Dodgers, and that was in twenty, and then they won it. Um, but they got. I think the sleeper of everyone they got is Glasnow. I think that's huge. I think their depth on the mound is unbelievable. They obviously have Shohei and Yamamoto. And that's really exciting. But if you look at Glasnow, for one, I mean, that's a number one. You know, Bueller's a number one. Dustin May could be a number one. They have Kershaw. I mean, it's just the embarrassment of riches. And that clearly looks like one of the best organizations. And so I've been a Dodgers fan since I moved south and, like, admired them from afar. So that's going to be pretty awesome to watch. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be crazy. I'm excited to watch some good baseball. I just like seeing good baseball. You can always root for the A's, man. You can always root for the A's. There. Yeah, now, now would be a good time to root for them, I think. Yeah, Baseball buy low. Buy low, man. Buy, yeah. buy low. Root for the A's. I, I promised Danny I'd, I'd ask one of her questions. Um, you answered one earlier. But but her, her question was simple, and we'll wrap with Danny's question because she couldn't be with us. Uh, she says, and I quote, you didn't know you were pitching the Natty game until that morning. What prepared you for that moment? National championship game for yes. our listeners. And, and he won it, by the way. Quick update. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's. In, I think it was, uh, so for one, we, you know, we got that game before, I think it was, what, 24 to 4, I, think, I don't even know, and uh, I remember, I was just thinking in my head during the game, I don't, until, you know, coach doesn't have to tell me I'm going, in my mind I'm going, until he says mm. I'm not, so that whole day I was like, I'm going to start next tomorrow, and I'm going to win, and uh, so the whole night, you know, we they told me, he, uh, excuse me, coach told me that morning, and, uh, but the whole night, you know, I was talking with Paul, which is funny. He was like, Hey, I'm getting the ball tomorrow and I'm going to, I'm going to go win. And, uh, you know, he told me, he came to his, his, uh, his hotel room and he's like, you got the ball. And for me, I was like, I mean, what more could you ask for? Like, that's literally wiffle ball in the backyard stuff. You're starting pitcher of the biggest game you can play. So that's everything in my life I've worked for. So I've, I trust myself. I believe in myself. I believed in the success and the failures I had throughout the year have made me who I am and are going to make me be capable to, to do what I know I can do. So, and then I think it's kind of funny. I like to look at that game. I think it's 
kind of a reflection of my season, you know, uh, leadoff single by Curlin and then Homer, 3-2 Homer from Langford. And then, you know, you get hit in the mouth early and then it's how you respond. And uh, so I learned so much from pitching in Omaha, regard, like regardless of the result, just what I learned about my myself to better myself and understand the reaction is what matters. And um, so, man, I think about that all the time. It was, it was, that's what, that's what it's all about for me. That was a hell of an interview, Thatcher Heard. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It's been awesome. Appreciate it. So here's the thing, and I've learned so much being around college sports with the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 Network. And a couple of years ago, I went up to meetings in San Francisco. I mean, the Pac-12 Network's closing down now here uh, this spring, unfortunately. But I met with a leader from Cal Berkeley, and they talked about Title IX. And it wasn't just Title IX as it pertains to the advocating of a female athlete and female teams, it was the advocating of an athlete. It was, it was the understanding of that when we talk about athletes on air, I think we're obviously tempted to talk about all the things they did when they were itty bitty, all the things that they did when they were with mommy and daddy. But let's remember that they're men and women now out in the more real world. And I respect that. I learned a lot from that. I actually learned a lot from that because you know my style and you listeners know my style, especially on amateur high school or lower play-by-play. I talk a lot about parents. I think it's important. Um, But going back to that, here's why I mentioned this. Like, I think we understood in listening to both Mike and Thatcher who the men were, who the men are becoming. And these men are planning towards, you know, their careers just like someone who is learning accounting, just like someone who is doing a final internship, you know, in marketing, a final internship in investment banking. That's just what they're doing now. And now they're going to go into the real world and have their jobs. That being said, with all due respect to that great lesson I got from the Pac-12 network, I think, I think a blend like a quilt is okay. Because clearly both of these men, when they were asked about their background, part of who they are, warmed maybe more so than anything to talk about the sacrifices their parents made. They're still very connected to their families. They're still making it clear that my family comes to LSU. My family is close by because I'm in Boston. I think when we do what we do, Danny, it's that fine line of reminding ourselves that they are men and women, because they are, clearly, um, and they're one step away from, from jumping into that professional world but they're also deeply still connected with their families. And, and, and most of the cases on this podcast, they are. That's a bit of a rant, but does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense. It's interesting because if I relate it to myself, when I was playing travel softball year-round, right, in St. Louis, Missouri, you really don't always recognize what your parents do for you. It just happens, right? You just show up and you're there and it's taken care of. And and if you need a bat or you need a glove and you're lucky enough to have parents who can go out and get that right away, you don't really think about what that means. So for me, I didn't necessarily realize it in the moment. I knew it was expensive, but I got to reflect later in my life. And now that I work in this space and really realize what my parents did for me and the ultimate sacrifices they made so that I could play the game. And when you get to hear these younger men and these, these college men talking about their families and, and in the moment, in the moment, recognizing what they've done for them and how much it takes to get you there 
and the money and the sacrifice and the time and the things that parents give up, right? They give up everything to get you here and to hear a, a kid. I mean, we're talking about kids, right? College kids. Sometimes you're still in the teenage years talking about this. It really sweeps over you. And I think it's a wave of emotions because I don't know if everyone always gets it. I didn't get it right away. It took me a little longer. And and so I do think it's really special. And I do think that when it's twofold, right? Number one is these kids know that their families do everything for them. And then number two, they recognize that in this sport, your circle is small. And when you become bigger and bigger and bigger, your circle becomes smaller, smaller, smaller. And it is often your family. You could always trust your family, no matter what, no matter the, the madness that is around you or the stressful times, it always comes back to your family. And so I do think it makes a ton of sense. And I do think it's really special. And, and these guys are, are um, not taking 10 years after their career to talk about it or to be willing to talk about it and be vulnerable to talk about it. So I think it's exceptional. Yeah, it's great. And, 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 and my great folks at Cal, I learned a lot. It opened my eyes. I want to be clear, but I think it's, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's, it's a real fine balance. Make sure to share this with, with people who you, who you think might be interested. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, we welcome your comments. Please do so. Um, this is a great show. We're producing out the next show. We're going to do our best, what, uh, bi-weekly, a couple a month if we can do it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, about to hit, we're about to hit it hard. Season's around the corner. And don't forget, by the way, for all things devoted to amateur baseball, uh, please download the Perfect Game TV app, or you can go find it on Roku, Fubo, Vizio, wherever you stream your favorite channels. Perfect Game TV. This, you're probably seeing it there as well. There's a, there's a portion of you capturing it here as well. But just grab the app. We're proud of what we do. We, we, we work hard to do it. We're all about the athletes. So see you soon. Amateur Hour, episode Tom Glavin.